0: This podcast is made possible by your support and your donations. Thank you. And by the purchase of my book called Everyday Buddhism, Real Life Buddhist Teachings and Practices for Real Change. I will post an affiliate link to the book on Amazon in the show notes. And if you've already read it, please take a minute to rate and review and also consider purchasing it again for a friend or family member as a gift. Welcome to Everyday Buddhism, making every day better by applying the proven tools found in Buddhist concepts. Welcome to Episode 95 of Everyday Buddhism, making every day better. I am re-releasing episode 77 in this episode, special encore re-release. Um, it's episode 77, Shin Buddhism with Bishop Marvin Harada. It's in honor of the beginning of the next study in the everyday Sangha. We're studying the three Pure Land Sutras. Now, Reverend Harada is the Bishop of the Buddhist Churches of America, essentially the largest present presence of Shin or Shin Pure Land Organizations in the U.S. So, the Buddhist Churches of America is the United States branch of the Nishi Honganji subsect of Jodo Shinsu Buddhism, or the True Pure Land School. For our Sangha study of the Pure Land Sutras, we will be reading one text Great Faith, Great Wisdom. Practice and Awakening in the Pure Land Sutras of Mahayana Buddhism by Ratnaguna. It's a commentary on the sutras, but it also includes a new translation of the sutras in the book. The commentary is not a strictly traditional Pure Land approach. The author dives deep into the mythical imagery as metaphor, but also expresses a practical way to understand and use a study of these foundational Mahayana Sutras. Here's a little something from a review of the book. Quote, this is a fresh, imaginative commentary on the Pure Land scriptures, which brings them to life for the contemporary reader. While the scriptures are embedded within Indian cosmology and ancient Buddhist philosophy, Ratnaguna unfolds for us their existential meaning and shows that they were as spiritually revelant, relevant today as when they were first conceived. Unquote. So, if you ever considered joining us in the everyday Sangha, now would be a great time. Sutra study is an extraordinarily beneficial to our understanding and practice of Buddhism. But it also can be intimidating, and I get that. Sutra reading or study creates a direct relationship between you and the teachings of the Buddha. Even if you don't understand a sutra when you first read it, if you keep reading it, and especially if you read it with a group of people you consider spiritual friends, you will be surprised at how an understanding happens despite yourself. In my experience, the understanding that comes from reading and rereading a sutra goes deeper than the typical conceptual understanding you arrive at when reading a contemporary Buddhist teacher. In our Sangha, we have studied the Heart Sutra and the Diamond Sutra together. And what started as pure intimidation turned to fascination and transformative insights we shared with each other. The Pure Land Sutras come from a different set of Mahayana teachings than the Heart Sutra and Diamond Sutra. The Pure Land Sutras are a collection of Mahayana Buddhist scriptures that focus on the concept of the Pure Land, a realm or dimension of existence where practitioners can be reborn through the power of a Buddha's vow. These sutras are particularly associated with the Pure Land School of Buddhism, although they're mentioned by many other uh, Buddhist schools, including early Buddhist schools that you'll find talked about in Tibetan Buddhism through Nagarjuna and, and the like, But anyway, the Pure Land School of Buddhism emphasizes devotion to Amitabha Buddha and the aspiration to be reborn in his Pure Land. Traditional Pure Land practice revolves around the recitation of Amitabha Buddha's name. This is often referred to as the Nianfo or the Nembutsu, as practice to, quote, remember the Buddha, and to inspire a bodhisattva ideal in living life. But the Pure Land also holds symbolic significance in Buddhism, particularly in the more contemporary practice of the Shin Pure Land tradition. Although it can be understood as a literal realm or destination for rebirth, the Pure Land can be seen also as a metaphorical representation of spiritual goals, states of mind, and the path to enlightenment. Here are some ways in which the Pure Land can be interpreted symbolically. And this is the imaginative field we will be studying in the book by Ratnaguna and the practices we will be talking about together with the everyday Sangha. We'll be talking about things like the inner pure mind, enlightened consciousness and self-realization, pure perception, in other words, seeing the pure and sacred in all things, faith and devotion, with the pure land as a symbol of the refuge and aspiration that practitioners find in their spiritual practice, ultimate reality or the nature of existence, and transcending dualism, through the union of wisdom and compassion, form and emptiness, and the overcoming of distinctions between self and other. The aspiration to be reborn in the Pure Land can be seen as an aspiration to transcend these limitations of dualistic perception. Now, these symbolic interpretations highlight the richness of the concept of the Pure Land in Buddhism. Regardless of whether one takes the Pure Land as a literal realm or as a symbolic representation, the underlying principles of aspiration, devotion, and the pursuit of enlightenment remain central to its significance in Buddhist practice and philosophy. So I hope you'll consider joining the Sangha to explore these concepts with spiritual friends who share your aspirations. But now, enjoy and learn from Bishop Harada, who highlights all the same concepts in our conversation from this encore presentation. I know you'll enjoy it. This is a very special episode with Reverend Marvin Harada, the Bishop of the Buddhist Churches of America. As Bishop of BCA, he also serves as the superintendent of Honganji's North American District, and Honganji is the largest of all Jodo Shinshu branches. On May 25th, 2021, he served as the representative of the Mahayana tradition in a celebration of Gautama Buddha's birthday, or visek arranged by the White House. And prior to the beginning of his tenure as bishop, which started in April of 2020, Reverend Harada served as head minister of Orange County Buddhist Church for 33 years. Reverend Harada majored in religious studies at the University of Oregon and received a Master of Arts in Buddhist Studies from the Institute of Buddhist Studies. After acquiring these degrees, he then moved to Japan as a seminarian to study for the ministry and where he received a Master of Arts in Shin Buddhist Studies. Reverend Harada was born in Ontario, Oregon. His grandparents, farmers from the Hiroshima, Hiroshima Prefecture and the Yamaguchi Prefecture, emigrated to the United States in early the early 20th century, which you're going to hear more about when Reverend Harada talks a little bit about his background. I will provide links to both the Buddhist churches of America and links to link to a little more background of Bishop Harada in my show notes. Now in our conversation in this episode, I am honored to have a discussion with Reverend Harada about what makes Shin Buddhism a truly everyday Buddhism. And we talk about meditation, mindfulness, chanting, ritual, and about the teachers we have in common and what made them special. I hope you'll continue to listen to our conversation, and I'm confident it might inspire you to investigate more into Shin Buddhism. The conversation starts now. Hello, Reverend Harada. Thank you so much for joining me again. I'm going to share with my audience another little bit of ways to um, humiliate myself that uh, uh, we had a recording scheduled last week and we had a wonderful conversation that was almost finished. And it so I noticed that uh, my recording light wasn't on. So um, that there went that, but uh through the graciousness of, uh, of uh, Bishop Parada, who uh, he said, "Okay, I'll join you again today," and so we're doing this once again. So, thank you twice. No
1: problem. My pleasure. <laughs> um,
0: I have really been looking forward to it twice, and um, because uh, I had so many questions about things that I think would be helpful to my audience, who I think, by and large, are primarily ignorant when it comes to shin buddhism um except for the few times that i have talked about shin buddhism my audience i is primarily i think it's hard with demographics to really get a good grip on this is primarily people who are new to buddhism or or just exploring buddhism so um, shin buddhism is really something um unique to them and 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 so they don't know but i i i love to share what i think is the uh the the truly everyday buddhist aspects of of shin buddhism um it captured me when i was in the lay ministry program with the bright dawn center of oneness buddhism um after almost 20 years of study and practice in tibetan buddhism and when i felt that tibetan buddhism wasn't doing it for me like shinran i sort of crawled away and felt like a failure and discovered Reverend Koyo Kabose and the bright dawn program. So I'm thrilled that I know you're going to convince people not convince, because that's not the job, but, um, show people how wonderful Shin Buddhism is. Mm-hmm. Um, I shared your bio uh-huh. and introduction at the beginning, but I'd like you to share a little more about your life, how you came to Buddhism, uh, how you came to Shin Buddhism, how you came to be a minister, and then, you know, bishop of the Buddhist churches of America. But, you know, first, could you just give our listeners like a 10,000 foot perspective of, of Shin Buddhism? You know, what are just a few of the distinguishing features of Shin Buddhism as compared to some of the Buddhist practices or lineage and schools they might know of um Mm. you know because you know zen buddhism tibetan Mm. buddhism those seem to be pretty prevalent in the culture so if you could you know those are like three questions all tied up in one and i'll let you go
1: (laughs) okay okay well i think the 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 key part of shin buddhism that we had to talk about is the nimbutsu nimbutsu so when you write Nembutsu in the Chinese characters, butsu means Buddha, and Nen uh, actually it means to contemplate or think on Buddha, and actually that's how they write mindfulness in Chinese. This character, the Nen of Nembutsu, so really mindfulness is is integral to the Shin Buddhist perspective. Uh, it's not just meditation, but the Nen of nimbutu is, is a mindfulness. And initially, it was to contemplate, to think on the Buddha. But that contemplative practice sort of morphed and changed over time in the Asian continent, especially in China, and the Chinese Pure Land Master by the name of Dao or Zendo in Japanese, uh, made the adjustment of, of making Nembutsu the vocal recitation of the Buddha's name. So instead of just sitting in meditation, like in Zen, to say the Nembutsu, to say Namu Amida-butsu, and within one's everyday life. And that's how Pure Land Buddhism, became more of the everyday person's uh, sort of path of Buddhism.
0: Because right. now you
1: don't have to you don't have to sit in a monastery and meditation seven, eight hours a day. A farmer could do this. Uh, you know people of all ages of all backgrounds can simply recite the Nembutsu. And in saying the Nimbutsu, Namuamidabutsu, uh, it brings the Buddha to mind. It brings wisdom and compassion to mind. It opens our hearts and minds to receiving the Dharma, to receiving uh, the heart of the Buddha, which is what Shin Buddhism is all about, uh, receiving rather than sort of striving to attain. Uh, yeah, uh, th-
0: yeah, that's unique. <clears throat> I'm glad you said that. That's a unique, I think, perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sort of reverse what our culture usually thinks about, they're usually grasped at, right, right. <laughs> rather right. than open to.
1: That's right. Uh-huh. So I think that's where, to me, Shin Buddhism really fits in with the modern lifestyle, uh, because uh, who can really commit themselves to <laughs> hours and hours of meditation a day, or giving up your your work or your career? We we have our careers, we have our families. Uh, to support and this path of the nimbutu can be something that a a person can do in their everyday life no matter what their occupation is whether they're at corporate headquarters or whether they're a farmer or whether uh they are elderly or whether they are uh, a teenager you know we can follow this path of the nimbutu, and no matter what our, our lifestyle is
0: Yeah, that's, uh, that was a wonderful um, 100,000, 200,000 foot perspective. Um, But you really did dive down to the significant difference. And I think the thing that I will emphasize, not that you didn't already emphasize it, but maybe this is sort of an underlining or a highlighting is that um, it's, it's the remembering the Buddha or the mindfulness, you know, mindfulness is like you know that's about as a ubiquitous of a term as there is any any term in buddhism in in today's world everybody's taking courses on mindfulness mm-hmm. um yet it, it is a without maybe oversimplifying it yeah. a mindfulness is essentially to remember the buddha it's not just to remember right. not just to remember yourself i mean we do yeah. that a lot <laughs> uh-huh. it's, it's to remember the Buddha, the remember, um, and all the all the uh, the positive aspects or attributes of of the Dharma. So yeah, that 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 was. A, I'm so glad you emphasized that. So now the other part of that question is, how did you come to Buddhism? Mm-hmm. How did you come to Shin Buddhism, mm-hmm. and then end up making that your profession as a minister?
1: <sighs> Yes. So, I grew up uh, as a Shin Buddhist. My grandparents were Shin Buddhists. They immigrated to this country in the early 1900s, and they came from parts of Japan that were, in a sense, the hotbed of Shin Buddhism. I mean, the most pious, the most devout followers of Shin Buddhism came from uh, areas like Hiroshima, where many of the Japanese immigrants came from. So people like my grandparents brought that spirituality, Shin Buddhism, to this country, and then they formed Japanese communities and they formed Buddhist temples. And so I attended one of those uh, temples in eastern Oregon from when I was young. Uh, But as a young person, it was more my family's religion. It really wasn't my own religion. Uh, Even though I attended... And it was tended to, well, we call it Dharma school. It's like Sunday school and mm-hmm. high school age activities, YBA. And I was more for the, in it for the fun and social events. <laughs> uh, in college, uh, a pivotal experience for me was one of my best friends and roommates in college was a very devout Christian. And he wanted to, I think he was trying to convert me to Christianity, actually. <laughs> but he, he wanted to talk religion all the time. And I couldn't answer any of his questions about Buddhism. He's meeting a Buddhist for the first time, and he wants to dialogue and discuss religion, and I really couldn't couldn't do so. It kind of shook me up and made me realize, well, I, I don't have my own religion. It's my family. Right. So what, what really is Buddhism to me? So it kind of started me on this path of really uh, rediscovering the religious tradition i was part of <laughs> that best friend became a, a christian minister and we're still good friends no at,
0: kidding we, uh, yeah we got,
1: we got together last year and, and we talk shop the whole time <laughs> <know>? <laughs> that
0: is so funny that he's still he's, you started that way and you're still yes. doing it yeah yes
1: yes, <laughs> yes. so that's when i began to rediscover Buddhism and actually study it and listen to the teachings you know really for myself then I came to find this is a tremendous teaching I wanted to get more into it and then I changed my major to religious studies went to University of Oregon to classes on Buddhism went to our small school in Berkeley the Institute of Buddhist Studies and that's where we uh, can qualify to become a, a minister and then after that went Went on to study under Reverend Gilme Kubose, uh, Reverend Koyo's father. I mean, just a tremendous experience to learn from uh, a teacher like that. And then went on to Japan and studied further, and then became a uh, a minister in our Buddhist churches of America.
0: Yeah, um, I'm so glad you mentioned Reverend Gilme Kubose. Um, I, I, I had you not, I was going to, but I knew you would because um, I knew <laughs> you studied under him, um, and you said he was really influential in in your path um and and clearly um he's influential in my past too he's like Mm -hmm. one of my primary teachers because it was the foundational reverend gilmay's writings were the foundational i didn't have the pleasure of meeting him because he had passed Mm -hmm. right before the time the lay oh. ministry program had started, which was one of the reasons the lay ministry did start was because Reverend Koyokabosa, his son wanted uh, uh, some way to carry on the legacy mm-hmm. um, with, with teacher people who could go out and speak to yes. everyday people of Reverend Gilmay's mm-hmm. teachings. Um, so what was it that hooked you about Reverend Gilmeh?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, although I've been brought up as a Shin Buddhist, as I mentioned, uh, and although I began to reconnect with Buddhism in general, I I couldn't connect with how Shin Buddhism was being presented to me, like in the way the minister's sermons were talking about. It, yeah. And I think this this is sort of the, the obstacle that many new people have with Shin Buddhism is that Amida kind of sounds like God. And the pure land sounds like a, a, a heaven that we yeah. go to when we die. And I couldn't kind of, it didn't, that didn't resonate with me. So I was struggling with trying to connect with, with Shin Buddhism uh, while I was studying IBS. And then we heard that Reverend Kubose was giving a, a lecture at the San Jose uh, Buddhist Temple, So I went there to hear his lecture, and the way he talked about (laughs) Shin Buddhism was so strikingly different than any any lecture or Dharma talk that I had heard about Shin Buddhism. I thought, wow, if this is what Shin Buddhism is, I can really relate to this, his way of talking about uh, Amida Buddha represents that which we should become. Yeah. Amida Buddha represents that which we should become. Amida Buddha is, is a, a symbol for wisdom and compassion. And that's what we should become. I mean, we should come to receive that heart of the Buddha, uh, which is the path of Shin Buddhism. So the way he just presented it, it, it was just so striking. And then I felt that I, would, I, I really should study under a teacher like that. So I was able to spend nine months in Chicago uh, studying under Reverend Kamosa, spending time at his temple, just helping or helping out at the temple sometimes, but uh, accompanying him to the various lectures he would give at local colleges and and meditation every Sunday and all of that. It was just it was a tremendous uh, experience
0: yeah I, I imagine so you just talking about it makes me a little heartsick that i never got to meet him because oh. he's just yeah yeah because yes, he's yes. just a, a profound teacher um mm-hmm. actually i'm wearing um this is an offhanded comment but i think people could get a kick out of this um people who know me know i'm a huge baseball fan um reverend gome was and so was reverend coyle Yes, but they're they were big Chicago fans, of course. Yes. and and I'm from Cleveland, and so I'm a big Cleveland fan. So we used to have a little we used <laughs> to have a little uh, you know uh, friendly sort of <clears throat> wagers going on, especially near the end of a season if there was a playoff or something. And actually, so um, so Reverend Coyle Cabose knew how much it meant to me, and he he sent me this uh, this mala. I'm, show, I'm showing it to the camera, and I'm showing uh, it to uh, Reverend Harada. It's made out of the stitches on a baseball. Um, oh, wow. Uh, and, and there are 108 stitches on a, every baseball. I'm not kidding you. 108 really? St- yes, 108. I don't think it was the the Dharma manufacturing or anything, but there happens to be 108 stitches on every baseball and a a Chicago fan who knew uh, somebody who was, uh, I think, in uh, Reverend Gilmays Temple presented him this Mala and Reverend Coyle kept it. And Uh then when we talked baseball shop, yeah, he he sent this to me um on one year when the Cleveland and when Cleveland was in the play, playoffs and Chicago was in the playoffs too. So so and now I wear this in memory of both of them right around playoff season. So
1: <laughs> oh, interesting, <laughs>
0: isn't, isn't that great? That's just the kind of people, and I kind of share this because uh, that's the everydayness. There would be a uh-huh. way for uh-huh. Reverend Gilmay to talk about something as uh, common as a baseball game in Uh a way that would teach you something about the Dharma. Like Uh Uh Reverend Coyle used to always, he always said, you know, my father never taught me anything, but I sure did learn a lot. Um,
1: Uh (laughs) Uh Uh Uh
0: But speaking of teachers um, on that lineage, um, you also shared that the writings of, uh, Reverend Haya Akagarasu were teachings that influenced you. And and mm-hmm. Haya Akigarasu, um was the teacher of Reverend Gilme Kabose. And yes. he yes. writes much about his experience of first hearing Hayahakarasu that absolutely yeah. echoes what you just said about meeting. Mm -hmm. reverend gome it's like he never heard anything like it and Mm -hmm. and then um hayaka garasu's teacher was Kiyozawa manchi and he wrote about meeting manchi in the same way it's sort of like there's Mm -hmm. this traditional way Mm -hmm. of being wowed by the the presentations Mm -hmm. and and i have a question for you and Mm and and this may bit be a bit too much in the shin buddhist weeds if you will <laughs> uh-huh. for my listeners but um it's my experience that reverend Hakagarasu so um engenders not always the most positive respect in the shin buddhist teaching community and i think this was because he was kind of the uh, he was in fact a rebel because he was one of the ones that initiated sort of a split in the hagashi um in lineage um so um one of the things that um i think is is that that there's a, a theme being echoed here is like you heard something that was so um it's not wasn't traditional but it caught you because it was the way you thought you could live your life and you could make an understanding of it um mm-hmm. and and it seems like Hi, Garasu taught that. Reverend Gome taught that. And now mm. it seems like you teach it. Because in the traditional Shin Buddhist approach, mm. it is very traditional mm. to mm. a lot of people. Like you said, mm. uh, Amita is like a god and the pure land is like a heaven. Mm. And um, I, I've had a lot of people cu- run to me when you were a po- appointed bishop or elected bishop. I don't know what the tra- mm. real mm. word for that is. Um mm. Uh, I had people run to me and say, oh, my, Reverend Harada is the new bishop. That means we're going to get all modernized in the BCA. So uh, do you have anything to say about all of this sort of rebellious <laughs> lineage stuff?
1: <laughs> well, let, let me comment, comment on Reverend akagarasu So ever since I studied under Reverend Kubose, I always wanted to uh, be able to read the writings of Reverend Akagasu, of course, Reverend Kubosa's teacher. And so after studying in Japan, you know, I got to where I could kind of read. I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm really fluent. I have to use the dictionary still. <laughs> but but over the years of uh, my ministry, his writings uh, in Japanese uh, have been this tremendous source of inspiration. And actually his writings or his books or actually his talks that he gave, that in those days, this is without before there were tape recorders and things like that, he would give these talks, lectures at his temple and other temples. And a lay person would be writing in shorthand, in a sense, in Japanese. Wow. As fast as he was talking. And then they would, of course, edit that and then make it into a published book. So the collected works of Reverend Akagorasu, I have I have it, 32, wow. 32 volumes.
0: Oh, my.
1: 32 volts. I mean, wider than my, my arm width here. And so, and just virtually only a tiny, tiny portion has been translated. So yes. that's the amount of, of breadth of uh, uh, materials that we can draw from, from Reverend Arkagasa. So, see, his, he wasn't just being a sort of a revolutionary it's a reflection of his own spiritual sort of experience. Yeah. He was a, the son of a temple minister, and he was brought up in a very traditional Shin Buddhist sense. He believed in Amida Buddha as sort of a savior, and Amida Buddha is going to you know take him to the Pure Land someday. And he was very pious, very devout. But then in his 30s and uh, late 30s, he had sort of a sort of a spiritual crisis you know he had some some uh criticism and and i think uh, marital difficulties various life experiences mm-hmm. presented itself and that amida buddha that he saw as a savior disappeared disappeared
0: uh, yeah and
1: so he was he kind of fell into this sort of a dark hole a deep dark hole and everything that he had read and learned about shin buddhism nothing helped him nothing helped him and so he began to return and reread a lot of the shin buddhist texts and he read various things that didn't help didn't help finally (laughs) he began to restudy the larger sutra the larger sutra and in rereading this larger sutra The story, the myth of Bodhisattva Dharmakara, the Uh, hero of the story mm -hmm. of the Large sutra that goes on to become Amida Buddha and creates the Pure Land, this whole story, he began to see it in a totally different light. Instead of seeing Amida Buddha as a savior out there, he began to, Dharmakara's innermost aspiration or Hongan began to resonate within him him. now this innermost aspiration of hungan that's what was causing him to rise up out of this dark hole that he was in and and so he said oh now that that this is what the sutra is trying to teach yeah yeah uh, was set and so now his whole perspective on how he looked at shin buddhism you know changed based on that sort of uh spiritual experience and so he shared his messages in light of that uh, new insight and so that's what resonates with me and i think that's the way that shin buddhism will resonate with people in the west
0: i agree i think it's like it's when because I, I, in some ways i think it's rare to meet someone whether that be within buddhism shin buddhism christianity who take the teachings and it Mm -hmm. totally becomes them do you know what i mean that that within the within the experience of life like you named like the 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 marital difficulties and illness and and all the things that we we face is if i think it's very typical for our our religious religiosity to sort of disappear when those things happen (laughs) you know what i mean yes Yes. but but if you find a way and returning to the original teachings is is Mm. pretty much typically the way so Mm. i i think you're right i definitely i think that's how and i think it's i think reverend gilme he he brought those teachings Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. he he got the teachings in his life the same way that uh reverend akagarasu did um and i think that's the way you know like shinran tells the story it's his it's the same thing it's like when you reach the darkest holes is when you Mm -hmm. have it's that's when that small opportunity to see the brightest light come along right that's Mm -hmm. really how it happens Mm -hmm. um now you've really piqued my interest. All those teachings of Reverend Akagarasu and Japanese, um, yeah. when there's only like a couple of books, and one of them's out of print now. Yeah, yeah. Um, right, that, right, right, right. It's like I'm always trying to find a way to get them for my for my people who who get interested. Um, uh, are you going to translate those?
1: <laughs> yes, <yeah>, someday, someday. <laughs> because uh, I had I started a study class when I was a minister at Orange County Buddhist Church. To read and study this larger sutra. So we started, it was it's the tortoise method of study. It <laughs> started from the very beginning, and we went character by character, line by line, wow. looking at the original text, looking at the English translation of the sutra, but also I would translate some of Reverend Akkagras's commentary ah. on the larger sutra, and and then we would read his. I would share, it's just my rough draft translation of his commentary, but we would read how he understands the, that passage or that portion of the sutra. And I was like, oh, every class i go, gee, what is this sutra trying to say? And then I read Reverend Akagas' commentary and it's like, oh, that's what it's saying. Yeah. See, so we need, in order to read these texts, you, you really can't read it just on your own. I mean, you can, you can read it, but what is it trying to say? See, wh- that's where we need uh, the guidance of, of other teachers, it, it, whether it's in the form of their book and commentary or a, a live in-person teacher to help help us uh, come to understand and how to read these texts.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, geez, uh, we'll all be waiting around for when you translate these because (laughs) it's 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 kind of exciting actually uh um you know since you already gave the you know the like i said the hundred thousand foot summary of uh, the principal distinguishing teachings of shin buddhism um let's talk maybe a little more about what distinguishes you you know you 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 mentioned um the Nembutsu you mentioned Mm -hmm. uh, Amida. you mentioned the pure land Um, Mm -hmm. and I also noticed the tagline on the BCA churches on their website is uh, life of gratitude I think gratitude is a a key Mm -hmm. feature I'll let you say more about what you think the key features are that would strike at at the heart of a more contemporary interested Mm -hmm. uh a mm-hmm. Potential Buddhist or just a, mm-hmm. a regular person. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. So the if I were to although we talked, I talked about uh saying the Nimbutsu in your everyday life, the other key practice, if we were to call it a practice in Shin Buddhism, is to listen to the teachings, to listen to the Dharma. And that sounds simple, but it's actually really hard to do. It's simple in that a five-year-old can do it, a 90-year-old could do it, but how well can one do it is is a great question uh, to really listen and receive, especially our modern lifestyle. Our attention span has gotten so short, and that's where mindfulness can help too, but our attention span is basically the length of a commercial, which is why commercials are three or four minutes long, right?
0: Well, actually, I think it's gotten even to about like a 15 seconds uh, in my lifetime. It's amazing.
1: So so that's where uh, in, in Shin Buddhism, we listen to the teachings, which means to a, attend a, a temple and listen to a Dharma message or listen to a, a study class or listen to a discussion. And then we begin to hear the Dharma in our everyday life through a conversation. Maybe maybe a bartender has something to teach you. Maybe a cab driver has something to teach you. Uh, maybe a comment from, from your child or your grandchild. Has something to teach you, but we have to have the you know the ears to hear it. We have to have the eyes to see it. We have to have the heart and mind to receive it. And that's where listening to the teachings over and over and over that kind of heart and mind is sort of nurtured, and then we begin to to see it in our everyday life. Just to give you a, a quick story, my teacher in Japan, Professor Shigaragi, he once shared. A tremendous lesson he learned from a cab driver. So he's he's taking the cab in Japan. Many people don't have cars, so he's taking the cab uh, to school. He's a professor, and you know he's just striking up a conversation with the cab driver. And it was the day after it had rained in Kyoto. Kyoto has air pollution like L.A., so he was commenting, "Oh, isn't it wonderful the day after a rain? uh, It's that the sky is so clear." and the cab driver says something like yes you know we humans are kind of the same way too and, <laughs> well what, what 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 do you mean by that and this man says the cab driver says sometimes sometimes we humans have to shed tears to clear our mm. vision and wow. it's like
0: wow, wow. Yeah, yeah
1: wow so tears of sadness tears of grief tears of sorrow there's there's meaning in those tears because it's it's clearing our vision for for how we can now more truly see the world so those kinds of everyday life experiences are all out there Uh
0: yeah so listening that's a because uh, i once uh in, in explaining Shin Buddhism somewhere on the podcast or in to my group, Sangha group or whatever, um, they said, well, if meditation isn't one of the primary practices of of Shin Buddhism, then what is? And and they said, what is other than the Nembutsu? Because mm-hmm. it's like they kind of don't want to do the Nembutsu. So it's like, what what else can I do? Um and, and I said, well, like listening. And <laughs> I and and I was kind of stuck. I mean, I talked about like listening to, you yeah. know, talks and listening yeah. to but but then um you know, the way you described it is absolutely perfectly because it's and it's kind of the way we were taught by Reverend Koyokabose is uh-huh. in our ministry class. Uh, Mm-hmm. Uh, program one of our main things that we had to do is to write what he called dharma glimpses Uh-huh. uh-huh. which is where we glimpse the dharma in everyday life mm-hmm. and we had to present write them and learn to present them as if it was a dharma talk mm-hmm. so we would be able to share the dharma mm-hmm. with everybody we ran across like like the the cab driver or 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 whatever which i think is a profound teaching and what i would notice over because we went on to facilitate the classes after reverend Coyle kind of pulled back a little bit what i would notice is you know was like a two two plus year program Mm -hmm. is is that the students would start like giving book like like taking quotes from books yeah, and it, and it and and sort of demonstrating what they've read and yeah and always it was never anything to do with, with glimpsing it in their own life
1: uh-huh, uh-huh. you know it, it, yeah. it's
0: just not the way we're wired when we're right. especially when we're trying to learn something and mm-hmm. boy when they would kind of come to that it mm-hmm. was like that's what listening is and mm-hmm. and you emphasize if you have the ears to hear, and I yeah. think that takes training. You said it's hard to do.
1: Yes, and so you know, over the years, I've been able to encounter many wonderful Shin Buddhists that that have that attitude of listening and learning from everyone, and how it manifests in their in their everyday life. We had a most devout lady at, at Orange County passed away a few years ago and and she was such a listener of the Dharma I always sat in the front and attended all of my study classes I did introduction of Buddhism you know eight or nine times and she took it every time oh. <laughs> and I would and I would say to her I would say Sachi you've taken this course eight times you don't need to take this course she, oh no every time I learned something new every time I learned something new so there I like to tell you one story about her uh, some holiday weekends, we didn't have service at Orange County. We like to give families a weekend off. So she would go with a, a friend who was a Christian to that friend's Christian church hmm. to, to attend service there. And so she attended once. And then after the service, the friend was complaining about the minister's sermon. I don't know what that minister was trying to say today, really complaining about the sermon. And this woman, Sachi, she goes, Oh, I thought it was a wonderful sermon. <laughs> oh so she's this guest at this Christian service, but and she's explaining the point of the sermon to her Christian <laughs> man. Uh, how, how is this possible? It's possible because she's this listener yeah she heard the message she heard the point
0: (laughs) yes exactly so reverend coyle used to teach us um if if someone says if you say that teacher that teacher was so bad that teacher bored me that teacher uh, um and he says what you're doing is you're pointing a finger at yourself you're saying I am so, I can't listen. I don't listen. I do, you know what I mean? He always made a point of emphasizing that. I don't know whether it was so we'd go easy on him or something, but I, but I don't, it, it, it and it is true. That Uh-oh, is uh-huh. some people, and that's not really the way our culture uh-huh. is.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right. It,
0: it really isn't at all but uh-huh. it it is so we have listening we have gratitude uh-huh. you know gratitude sounds a little corny um uh-huh. but not really um but yet i do think you know in in uh, I mean, when people first hear about buddhism um they always they always talk about the bad news of buddhism i call it the bad news of buddhism you know uh-huh. life is suffering right uh-huh. Uh-huh and and uh it's 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 pretty hard to get them to the other parts like uh, especially and i and i don't think you know some of the other lineages in schools do this quite well um uh, i do think shin buddhism does mm-hmm. um because they don't really like a lot of times i meet people who are um who were brought up like who were like you were brought up in a shin buddhist house or are brought up in a a Thai Buddhist house or are brought up in a um Tibetan Buddhist house or family they don't necessarily know the four noble truths and the eightfold path they mm-hmm. they don't but they learn how to live based yeah. on some of the main principles mm-hmm. but so so yeah i think so we got gratitude is there any other key um distinguishing teaching that you'd like to talk about
1: um well let me just comment on that on that uh, uh, gratitude so if if a person has a heart of gratitude then you have everything you have everything yeah you're not seeking your happiness in x amount of dollars or in uh, a Tesla, or <laughs> in uh, a beautiful mansion or something like that, or some ideal spouse or partner. Buddhism is trying to awaken us to really see and appreciate uh, whatever it is that we have in our life, you know, right now. Right. You know, there's, a, there's an amazing uh, fountain at Du Anji Temple, uh, in Kyoto, that's where it has the white rocks. The oh Zen. yeah, yeah. So I every four years I take our high school youth group to Japan as a cultural and sort of a spiritual trip. So that's one of the most famous temples in Kyoto. So we go there. It's just a simple garden, white rocks, and there's a few large rocks. So I I bring them there, and one of the YV kids says to me, "So sensei, where's the garden?" <laughs> <laughs> This is the garden. (laughs) Really? But the last time I was there, I walked around to the back of the temple and there's this sort of a fountain. And this fountain has four Chinese characters written on it. And it's a Buddhist saying. So I'm looking at it and I go, oh, this is such a profound statement. And there's a very similar statement in the larger sutra too. But basically what it says is, the only thing I know in life is that I have enough.
0: Oh, the that's only
1: thing, The only thing I know in life is that I have enough. And so the author of this poem is saying, I don't know much about philosophy. I don't know much about history. I don't know much about this or government or this or that. But I know I have enough, meaning However much money they have in the bank, that's enough. Their house that they live in, that's enough. You know, my wife, that's enough. (laughs) (laughs) That didn't come across quite right, but.
0: No, it didn't, but, and it's okay. I'll tell her not to listen.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Meaning to be grateful for whatever you have in life. Even, even with terrible things like maybe you have cancer or or maybe your spouse has left you and you find yourself in this terrible situation but you know buddhism is trying to awaken us to embrace the totality of our life experience and and we can be even grateful for for difficult challenges of life
0: that's that's a beautiful saying absolutely and the way the way it's termed in that way uh, elevates the whole concept of gratitude in in uh, in, in, uh, in, a, in, a, in a very different thing, a uh, diff- very different way. Um, another question I wanted to ask you is, um, you know, I I, I mentioned uh, the last time we. Met um, is <laughs> is is that I read this article from Lion's Roar about me to teacher oh, yes, uh, yes Reverend yes. Marvin Harada and uh-huh. uh, and yeah and it, there was for some cute questions they asked you about your heroes and your teachers and your um and your favorite TV shows and um and all of those things but uh, but one of the things that did that mentioned you mentioned at the beginning um. <clears throat> that you were, um, one of the, one of your missions as a bishop Mm -hmm. was to, um, to try to bring Shin Buddhism to a wider audience. Um, and you know, I, it's, it's always been my complaint about Shin Buddhism is, Mm -hmm. is it, it doesn't seem to or it, it, in my my feeling of it, and th- this sounds highly critical, and so I apologize. But it, it was it, it it never seemed to try to appeal mm-hmm. to people beyond like the the families that grew up in Shin right. Buddhism. I That's mean, right. you right. know, like this the story was, and and I know you've shared this story as a story was like you know people walk in and there's pews and it doesn't seem like it's Buddhist, but that's okay too. That's not a problem. It's still, yeah. but if there's, then there's, then there's Japanese chanting. And then there's, yeah. you know, yeah. um it, I don't think it has to become like Tibetan Buddhism, like turning uh-huh. into meditation and turn, uh-huh. you know, and have Zafus around and, you yeah. know, it, it doesn't have to do that, but it, it does seem to be like miss the connection. And I think we've hit upon this a little bit in that mm-hmm. talking To people today in their everyday, so how do you see your mission being fulfilled in that way?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Uh, So I'm trying to help all of our churches and temples uh, do a better job at uh, connecting with a greater audience. And especially the newcomer that comes to our temples or uh, for the first time. Uh, And so part of that is the message, the Dharma message from the minister. It has to resonate with them. Uh, It has to connect with their everyday life. So I've been trying to say to uh, our BCA community, ministers and lay alike, that There's sort of two levels of Buddhism. There's a truth level, and then there's a sort of a practical level. Mm -hmm. And all of our great teachers and masters and many ministers are they're trying to communicate Buddhism on this truth level, but the average person is more interested on the on the practical level. Absolutely. Will it ease ease my stress? Will it help (laughs) me to live a happier life, a more meaningful life, a more fulfilled life? We we have those kind of practical. Uh, questions but if the sermon is here at the truth level and people are at this practical level there's this there's this disconnect absolutely this disconnect. so my challenge for me as a minister is to how to connect with the practical everyday life experiences of of anyone to the dharma at a at a sort of a deeper level and it may be something where we try to lead people to the to the truth level which of course might take some time but at least to to try to make that connection and only then i think will people be more drawn uh to to shin buddhism
0: absolutely it's it's essentially the two truths what you're talking about yes. the uh, yes. the ultimate and the conventional truth and uh-huh. you're right nobody you know you you if if you if you talk at the ultimate truth level all the time you're you're you're, uh, people think you're talking philosophy and ho-hum right um (laughs) and and if you continue to chant and don't tell them what the chant means then again ho-hum right it's like first of all most of the time people can't even form those words and so how can they even participate in that right that's a problem it's Mm -hmm. like because a lot of people say you know like you said in that article your your favorite what was it um your favorite meditation practice and it's traditional sutra chanting Uh,
1: yeah Mm -hmm.
0: uh, i i've only recently begun to explore in my uh in my sangha Mm. uh, and that's this is is why we chant you know Mm -hmm. why we have ritual why we have liturgy Mm -hmm. what's what's the point you know why (laughs) how how does that reach us at the conventional level and Mm -hmm. and um one of the things that we talked about in our last meeting was that it reaches us at the conventional level in much the same way music and literature does it hits Mm -hmm. here Mm -hmm. you know hits here at the heart um how would you describe why chant Uh
1: Well, in our latest version of our service book that Orange County published uh, some years ago, we put in there uh, this basic explanation on sutra chanting. So sutra chanting has a threefold function. The first function, it has a ritual function in which we're, we're in a ritual. We're praising the Buddha. Second, it has a meditative function. And this is an aspect of sutra chanting that we haven't talked about at all in Shin Buddhism. But sutra chanting is it has the same effect as sitting in meditation. Right. That's why the sutra chanting is always before the Dharma talk.
0: <laughs> right. It's
1: always before the Dharma talk. So we settle ourselves, prepare our hearts and minds to, to listen and receive the Dharma. So it has this ritual aspect. It has a meditative meditative aspect, and then the third component is it's a it has a learning aspect. It has a learning aspect. So as we're chanting, gee, what is it that I'm chanting? Now we want to learn in a study class what it is that we're chanting, and so ministers or monks who can read the Chinese and they're chi- chanting in Chinese, you know, as they're chanting it, praising the Buddha, they're also reading the text and right. those uh, teachings, those char- Chinese characters that, you know, you get to where you kind of memorize them or, or it's, it's a, a partial study. It's not quite like just reading, but it's, right. it's uh, subliminal, I guess maybe uh-huh.
0: subliminal, uh-huh.
1: uh, learning. And then, and, and certain passages of that sutra might jump out at you sometimes as you're chanting it. Oh, I never thought about this before—the meaning of these characters, something like that. So it has those threefold aspects. I yeah. think we need to explain that better, especially to the newcomer.
0: Yeah, exactly, it, exactly. Because, um, and and part of it, I, I'll put a little critique on our culture. I mean, part of it oh. is we 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 seem to want everything delivered to us the way we want it, packaged the way we want it, at the price we want it, or, we, you, you know, w- without ever taking a step to meet in uh-huh. the middle, right? That's right. That's it, right. It, and and I, I find that a little annoying, but it's like, uh-huh. it's, you know, it's one thing to do that with your, you know, with your fast food, but it's another uh-huh. thing. <laughs> if it's your spiritual practice, you should take a few steps to meet in the middle, right? Uh, <laughs> So um, you know, in that same article, uh this links to that, and and I don't know, this is probably an unfair question. You have 58 churches and temples in the yes. Buddhist churches in yes. America. Uh-huh. Now the pandemic has brought a wealth of of Buddhist services of all types and stripes yes. um yes. to the internet. And so people get to sample right yes. a little yes. bit. Um uh and we one of the things that people like they, like if someone like listens to this and say i'd like to know more about shin buddhism you know mm-hmm. i'd I'd, lo- I'd love to know more about shin buddhism so mm-hmm. they look on the internet and they they see the you know orange county presentation or yeah, or yeah. whatever presentation yeah. and and then they go and i there are a few shin podcasts but very few um mm-hmm. so they go there and mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. they then they they hear a lot of chanting and Uh and so they're saying now how am i to incorporate this in my everyday life Uh you know because in those 58 temples and churches um Mm. not many of us are near one you know there's most of them i think are on the west coast or the midwest Uh or so it's like very few out here in the the, this side of, of the country or down maybe in the South. And, and it's like, that leaves people saying, well, how, how could I, I love what uh, Bishop arata said about Shin Buddhism. Now, what do I
1: do? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, okay.
0: Mm-hmm. What's your answer?
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Unfair question, right?
1: <laughs> no. Uh, well, I think thanks to the pandemic, we have, more internet resources now and most ministers have been doing either uh, zoom or facebook or youtube uh, services Uh, like you say i think most ministers think well i have to do the entire service so there's the chanting and then there's the dharma talk uh, I, I sort of question whether we should have the entire service. We in some cases, we should have the entire service, especially for our members who are at home and they want to participate in the right. entire service. but the the newcomer just wants to listen to a message, I think. yes. and then, and then later they could be drawn into the entire service. see. So maybe we need more uh, focus on just introductory talks on Shin Buddhism. Uh, things of that nature that people can uh, click on and hear a short message or a short introduction to Shin Buddhism. So the uh, at Orange County, prior to the pandemic, we began to try to do more on the internet and we created this everyday, uh, everyday Buddhist uh, online program. And so that's continuing on there. So there's uh, many courses there, many lectures that oh,
0: good to know. In, yes,
1: and uh, of varying topics and with varying teachers. Uh, I I highly recommend that uh, as a way for people to get started.
0: Oh, good. I will put the I will put those links in oh. my show notes so mm-hmm. people can find that because mm-hmm. I I'm, I've read you know the few times that I have mentioned to people, um, when they ask me what sort of practice I I have take it up i i say it's primarily a uh basically a shin buddhist practice even though i have 20 years of tibetan so i guess it's kind of a hybrid tibetan shin yeah, if you could yeah. do that but but um uh-huh. but it's like they always look at me like what shin you know it's like it's it's like it's pretty hard to point them in the right direction That's so right. I, I i'll put as many links as i can in the show notes of this because yes. it would be wonderful
1: mm-hmm.
0: um you know there's so much more i could talk to you about but uh, I've taken a lot of your time today and last week, so <laughs> I won't take any more of your time. Um, but before I close, is there anything else you wanted to say or that I didn't say or ask? Or
1: Oh, no, nothing in particular. It's just wonderful to have this uh, dialogue with you and to have the opportunity to share some thoughts uh, on on Buddhism and Shin Buddhism in particular with with your, with your uh, internet audience. So thank you for this opportunity.
0: Thank you, Reverend Harada, so much.
1: Thank you, thank you.
0: I hope you enjoyed that episode. I know I loved hearing that again. And also I know I announced the new study for the Everyday Sangha at the beginning, but I'm going to do that again too, as a reminder that you can join me and others, spiritual friends, in our private, donation-supported, everyday Sangha. It meets virtually via Zoom every other week on Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. U.S. Eastern Time. The Sangha, as I said at the beginning of this episode, will be starting a study of the Pure Land Sutras with the book Great Faith, Great Wisdom, Practice and Awakening in the Pure Land Sutras of Mahayana Buddhism by Ratnaguna. Our meetings consist of a service first, including traditional vow recitations and other invocations like refuge vow, bodhisattva vow, etc., chanting, and a short meditation period. The service introduces more ritual and liturgy into the structure of our meeting, much like you would find at a non-virtual Buddhist temple, church, or sangha. The service includes a Dharma talk by one of the practice leaders or myself, Wendy Shinyo. After the service, though, we open it up to discussion of the current book study or of anything that was inspired by one of the Dharma talks. Consider joining the Sangha at this time to be a part of the new sutra study, the practice, and a warm and welcoming Sangha community. You can learn more about the Sangha by viewing the latest bonus YouTube podcast, where me, Bradley Janayo-sensei, and Terry Hoskin, our practice leaders, talk about what the Sangha is and what everyday Buddhism is all about. You can also support this podcast and other activities of Everyday Buddhism if you do not feel like you can join the Sangha or are unable to meet the times, but you can join the activities of Everyday Buddhism by becoming a community member for $5 a month. If you do, you will have access to all members only podcasts, an education series, a private group on a non-face work Facebook platform. I recently released a new members-only bonus podcast answering a listener's question. It's the first of a multi-part members-only podcast responding to a listener question about religion and Buddhism. I hope to release the second of this planned three-part podcast very soon. And the other benefit of joining the membership community is the Introduction to Buddhism course, which runs twice a year, two different sessions, um, is free to members of the community. And the very important announcement is that the next one starts on Wednesday, September 13th, 2023 at 7.30 p.m. U.S. Eastern Daylight Time. The intro courses are free, as I said, to members of the membership community or the Everyday Sangha. There's also a way to to donate just for the intro course alone. If you don't follow me or Everyday Buddhism on any social media platforms we post in, you can go to the Everyday Buddhism website and join the membership community or the Everyday Sangha. Just go to www.everyday-buddhism.com and click on either the tab that says Join Members Community, or Join Everyday Sangha. You can also join through Patreon at patreon.com forward slash everydaybuddhism. Also, if you're interested in the course, and go to the link, Introduction to Buddhism Course and Registration, on the website, you can find out more about the upcoming course and how to register. Links to joining the Everyday Sangha membership community or registering for the course are also going to be posted in the show notes. I thank all of you who contribute in any of these ways. This podcast, the community, and the Sangha depend on your donations to continue to exist. I do not seek podcast sponsorships and do not ask for financial commitments through paid podcast memberships. So my work and the costs needed to support what I do is entirely self-funded, except for your donations. Please consider a one-time or continuing donation through Patreon or on my website's Donate tab. Or just buy me a coffee on the Coffee cup link on the website. You can find all these links in the show notes. And thanks, too, to all of you who write in with comments and questions. As the latest bonus member podcast illustrates, I do read your emails and may even pick your question to feature in a bonus podcast. Another way you can help, and this is very important, is to rate and review the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. It's important to share the podcast with others if you find it helpful in your life. And if you could, please just take a minute to comment so people will know why you love everyday everyday Buddhism. Okay, so that's all for the announcements. That's all for this episode. So until next time, keep finding ways to make yours and everyone's days better.